This episode is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, experienced wealth planners and investment managers who offer unwavering support in challenging times. Visit candowealth.com for more information. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Katie Balls and this is the Sunday Roundup. If Boris Johnson thought the MPs would be rolling out the red carpet for him as he raced back from his holiday in the Dominican Republic, he had another thing coming. The contest for the Conservative Party leadership is still very much open, and the former Prime Minister appears to be trailing his former Chancellor for nominations, of which he would need 100 to go forward to a ballot for party members. Steve Baker, whose time as the head of the European Research Group has assured his enduring influence in the party, explained to Sophie Ridge why he was endorsing Rishi Sunak over Boris. There's a lot of love out there for Boris Johnson, and I respect that. I mean, I've been a big fan of Boris Johnson so many times, but this isn't the time for Boris's style. I mean, I'm afraid the trouble is, because of the privileges vote, Boris would be a guaranteed disaster. There's going to be a vote before the House of Commons on this issue of privileges, whether he deliberately misled the House. In that vote, it's guaranteed there'll be a large number of Conservatives who will refuse, as they see it, to lay down their integrity to save him. And at that moment, his premiership will collapse. Now, the best argument I've heard for dealing with that is having the vote on the first day. But that relies on people believing that other MPs think like they do, that you don't vote against a new Prime Minister. That isn't what will happen. 62 MPs resigned from his government over the Pincher affair, which in the end, whatever one thinks about it, was an issue of conduct and character. Well, those same MPs are not now going to go like lambs through the division lobby. So at that moment that there's a vote in the House of Commons on privilege, his premiership would collapse. It's a guaranteed nailed-on failure, and we cannot allow it to happen. So you think that a a sizeable number of Conservative MPs would actually vote to say that he misled Parliament? One member of Parliament rang me on Friday to say that they would rather lose the whip than vote for Boris Johnson in that vote. And Why? Because they think they're going to lose their seats and they'll need to make a living. And in order to make a living, they'll need their reputations. And this is why they'd rather lose the whip than vote for Boris in that division. So I'm I'm sorry, voters out there love him. And he's undoubtedly a wonderful man. He lights the room up when when he's in the room. But unfortunately, he doesn't have that, you know, meticulous compliance with tedious rules. He he just doesn't do it. And it's caught up with him. And, And I'm afraid whatever people would like to be true, we need to just ruthlessly face the truth as it is. And the truth as it is, is when that vote comes, which it will, his premiership would implode. And this country cannot be afford to be back here in a couple of months. Baker, who is also a Northern Ireland minister, issued a warning to Liz Truss's soon-to-be successor that if they were not careful, they could end up just like her. Whoever wins this contest, the only policy that can be successfully carried through on Northern Ireland is the one that we have. And everyone should understand that. Because if, if say, Rishi doesn't, or Penny, didn't carry through that policy, the Eurosceptics would implode the government. There's absolutely no doubt. They've been very quiet, but the Eurosceptics really care about this issue of the whole UK leaving the jurisdiction of European law. And again, whatever anyone else may think, my colleagues and friends like Bill Cash and Mark Francois and John Redwood, they are not going to tolerate any diversion, any equivocation on this point. So whether it's Rishi or Penny or Boris the same policy must be carried forward on the Northern Ireland Protocol. And I'm very pleased that actually Simon Hoare and I have united around this point. Quite different politicians. Yeah, but not that you... Simon's been very generous to me. He's recognised that I have taken some big hits, 
in the apology that I gave to try and change the negotiating dynamic and the friendship between us and Ireland. And it's working. It's, that's great. But I didn't just speak of humility. I also spoke of resolve. Everyone needs to understand that the legitimate interest of unionists is to end the jurisdiction of EU law in Northern Ireland. Now, that's the hardest problem we need to solve. But we will not have devolved government in, in Northern Ireland until it's done. That means we won't be celebrating the 25th anniversary of the Belfast Good Friday Agreement. This is big stuff. And everyone involved needs to understand we can offer both friendship and humility. We can make apologies where they're needed. But in the end, we've got to end the jurisdiction of EU law in Northern Ireland. Penny Mordaunt found herself in an awkward position this morning as she faced off against Laura Koonsberg. With a lot of ground to make up before nominations close on Monday, Mordaunt's interview could well serve as a crucial moment in the success or failure of her campaign. Koonsberg repeatedly asked her for detail on spending pledges, but unfortunately her answers proved to be almost exceptionally light on content. Would you make cuts to the health service, yes or no? But we have to recognise that we have enormous backlogs. So, so uh, we are going to... No, at any time in the last 12 years has a Conservative government uh, rolled back on, so no, on health spending. So, so you wouldn't make What we have service. to do is we have to make efficiency save, mm -hmm. savings. Well, but what like we cut. have to do is ensure that those services that people need, and that we're still recovering from the pandemic, are there. I'm not going to be drawn into mm -hmm. the detail of this, but what is okay. important for your viewers mm -hmm. is to understand that I recognise that people are going to need support, that our health service is under okay. immense strain. And what about defence spending? Would you increase defence spending to 3% of GDP? I know defence is close if to people, your heart. If people don't know my views on the necessary uh, reason why we have strong defence, then um, they, well, they haven't I'm been asking you, paying but does, attention. Does that mean an Again, increase of 3% of GDP? I know that me not giving you an answer to that question is to my detriment, but I'm putting the country first. We have got to have stability and we have got to, we can't have people in this contest, mm. I know it's only a week, mm. mercifully, <laughs> making spending commitments. Mm -hmm. We must stick to that process. What about though sticking to the triple lock? That's something that protects pensioners' incomes. That's been a totemic thing for the Conservative Party. Would you stick to that? I'm really proud we brought that in. We mm -hmm. recognise that people are going to... The older they get, the, mm -hmm. the higher their cost of living. It is something that the Conservatives have done. I'm very proud of our record in government. So would you I stick think to it because it's in the manifesto? If we Conservatives remember our record since 2010 when we took over, when there was no money left, what we've done on pensioner income, how many people we've brought into work, four million people. Because that was in the manifesto. So I'm not stand being by drawn it. on that. So Laura. you might... Okay. What I would say, because I understand people mm -hmm. want reassurance, yeah. and I want our party to remember this week what we all have in common, the, the mm -hmm. achievements we have made together, the manifesto okay. that we stood on together, because that's our mandate. And it's the 2019 And one final manifesto. one, and this is a yes or no on this, please. During the conference, you said that benefits should rise in line with inflation. Yes or no? Do you stand by that? You said it a couple of weeks ago. I'm not, you're trying very hard, Laura, well, you to said draw it yourself me on a couple these. of weeks ago. I, people know my record. They know the record of this Conservative government. We have always protected people, but I'm not being drawn into the detail. This is, this is really important. you said important. it a couple of weeks ago, Penny Morden. What we must do is remember that our mandate mm -hmm. lies in the 2019 manifesto. The former Prime Minister still has some stalwarts in his camp. One of them is the Business Secretary, Jacob Rees-Mogg. Koonsberg challenged Rees-Mogg to put the case for Boris 2.0. 
But why do you think members of the public would accept Boris Johnson as Prime Minister again? I mean, if we look at the record, he's been investigated for lying to Parliament. He was found to have broken the law while in office. He had disastrous by-election results. Polling shows that actually the suggestion that he's still an electoral winner is not the case. So why would the country accept him again, in your view? Well, OK. Because I think a lot of what you've said uh, is actually um, not getting the full story. So... Boris delivered Brexit. Uh, he supported Ukraine and standing up to Russia was the first world leader to do that. And he got us through a pandemic. He won a majority of 80. Uh, he won Hartlepool in a by-election. He I has been the greatest electoral asset the Conservative Party has had in modern times. And if you look at the poll in um, the Mail on Sunday today, he's the one who appeals most to uh, people who voted Conservative in 2019. And that we know that there are plenty of other polls together. that actually show the opposite. And you list some of what many people may agree are mm. his achievements. But after those things had taken place, more than 50 ministers in his government went public mm. to force him from office, essentially saying he was not fit. Now, just because uh, there were achievements previously, didn't his time in office suggest that actually he wasn't up to the job by the end of it? I think that's such an extraordinary rewriting of um, history to dismiss those achievements of historic proportions. I'm not dismissing fundamental those achievements, change Jacob Rees-Mogg. What I'm saying is but the they, fact they are, they are a, is that more than 50 ministers in Boris Johnson's these are own government resigned these are to force him from fundamental achievements. Ukraine's support was dependent upon the leadership Boris Johnson showed. Brexit fundamentally changes our constitution for the better, delivers on the 2016 referendum result, uh, and getting us through the pandemic was something no government had had to deal with. These are quite extraordinary historic achievements. The Labour leader Keir Starmer also made an appearance, telling Coonsberg that future Labour voters should not expect a land of milk and honey if Labour does indeed win its first election since 2005. The damage has been done to our economy and um, an incoming government is going to have to pick up uh, a real mess of our economy of the Tories making. Now, at the moment, we don't know the full extent of the damage because we haven't had an OBR report. We you need have that. Heard the former Bank we, of England governor say that, that to be realistic report. and Look, to be truthful with the public. That's what he was saying. To be truthful with the public, you've got to be saying that taxes will have to go up if we want to enjoy the kinds of standards that we get right now. Laura, we need that OBR report so we know the extent of the damage. Uh, we the need that. Whoever comes watchers. in as Prime Minister, we need that OBR report because we all need to see the extent of the damage. What I've said from a Labour Party point of view is I know there are going to be tough choices. I mm -hmm. said that actually in Liverpool three weeks ago. Mm -hmm. I said it last week again. Tough choices that mean we can't do some of the things that we want to do as an incoming so Labour government mean? as quickly so, as, we, as we would want to. So, well, I'm not going to write our manifesto on the programme, but I, but Laura, I like... but I am being clear that we will be the party of sound money. We know there are tough choices to be made. We have already set out, Laura, some things we would do. A windfall tax on oil and gas companies and, and would bring in that, tens of billions of pounds. Non-domed state tax status change, the private and, and you've, equity you've fund that, loopholes. And, and there is a dispute well, as well about how much that would raise. But I want to pick up on something you just said there, which is something you said earlier uh, last week, and actually we discussed it um, with one of your colleagues last week. You said we should be clear about what this means. It means not being able to do things, good labour yeah. things, as quickly as we might like. Now, can you tell us what that, what that might mean? Does that mean cutting spending or does it mean making changes less quickly than you would like if you're lucky enough to win office? Well, Laura, I'm not going to write our manifesto on your programme. We don't know the extent of the damage. But what I was being clear with my own party mm. and the public is that I know that an incoming Labour government is going to inherit an economic mess from this 
government, economic damage. And therefore, there are things that we would like to do as an incoming government, good Labour things, as I've described like, them, like we will That's not be able to do as quickly as we would want. Like and finally, former Chancellor George Osborne told Andrew Neil that there could be plenty of trouble ahead if Boris Johnson does win. There's a much sooner challenge if Boris Johnson wins, gets into the contest, wins the members' ballot. I think there's a real chance the Tory parliamentary party say we don't accept the result of the members' ballot. We don't accept that 200 of us are going to serve under a prime minister we didn't want. And, and so I think the crisis will mm. develop sooner than the Privileges Committee. I think it will develop at the end of this coming week and the beginning of next week if what Johnson gets through, the indicative vote of MPs shows that two-thirds of Tory MPs didn't want that. Uh, but he narrowly or even, you know, comfortably wins the members' ballot, which, of course, will also be mired in controversy because it's a digital ballot and there will be all sorts of questions about, you know, who voted and whether it was done properly, despite the best efforts of the Conservative headquarters. That's all for this week. I'm Katie Balls and this podcast was produced by Matthew Taylor. Don't forget to subscribe to the Coffeehouse Shots podcast on the iTunes store. And if you enjoyed this podcast, do subscribe to our daily evening blend email. It's a free roundup of all the political news each day, along with analysis and a diary on what to expect next. Just go to spectator.co.uk forward slash blend. Thanks for listening and do join us again next week. <laughs>